Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 14. We're talking about this important subject of Christian liberty. We've been in the book of Romans now for a long time. We worked through all of the various doctrinal sections, dealing with the gospel, dealing with man's need of salvation, dealing with our sanctification. Now we're in this section of the book where the Apostle Paul is dealing with some very practical areas in our lives. And here in this extended section, as we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, we're talking about Christian liberty. I'm talking about things that are necessary, things that are essential for salvation. We're talking about things that many times fall into the category of various issues of opinion. And that's why he says at the beginning of the chapter, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. And then he deals with some of the various opinions that people in the first century in the church at Rome felt very strongly about. These were not issues that people just thought were peripheral. These were issues that were central in people's thinking. How do we relate to the Old Testament Jewish regulations? And what about clean and unclean food? What about food and meat that has been sacrificed to idols? And People were really struggling with those issues in their conscience. We've dealt with the first section of this chapter, and now we begin in verse 10 today, when the Holy Spirit asks us some pretty searching questions. It's interesting how many times the Holy Spirit, or God Himself, in the Old Testament would appear to men Most of the times when God would get into a conversation with people, He didn't just begin by telling them something, by giving them truth. He usually started with a question. So He comes to Cain. Where's your brother? He comes to Adam and Eve. What have you done? Comes with a question. And here the Holy Spirit has a question for us. And it's a question that slaps every one of us in the face because we all fall short in this area. When it tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we can be sure that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in this way. We've done this. And so he begins with a question when he says to us in verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, no knee will escape. As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather let us decide this, never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, then you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the faith of the one for whom Christ died. So do not let evil, or excuse me, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but this is what the kingdom of God is all about. It is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual edification or building up. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I ask that you would forgive me for times having sat in judgment on others, despising them, looking down at them, thinking of myself as better than them. Forgive me. Father, I pray that you would help me as an individual to understand that I will give an account to you of myself. So help me, Lord, to extend your grace and compassion to those around me because you have extended yours to me when I have not deserved it. Lord, as we think about the judgment today, not just this thing of judging each other, but we think more importantly about the truth that you tell us we all have an appearance someday at the judgment seat of God. Father, help us to live soberly because of that truth. Thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some issues I want to address as we go into this text this morning. Just a couple of things I hope that we can see. One of the things that I want us to think about is, you know, what is the difference between judging others wrongly and judging others rightly? Can we judge each other rightly? You say, I I didn't think we could. Well, you know what? I want you to notice something in the text. He tells us at the beginning of this text, he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? But then, at the end of the text, he says this, whoever thus serves Christ is, number one, acceptable to God, and number two, is approved by men. You know the word approved there? See that word approved? That word is the Greek word dakamatso, and it means this, 
to put under the microscope and to scrutinize. In other words, people are scrutinizing your life. People are passing an appraisal on you. And if you serve God in a certain way, you are not only accepted to God, you are approved by people. He's telling us there, we are not to judge, but on the other hand, we'll see all through the Scripture, the Bible tells us, not only do we judge each other, we are to scrutinize one another. So what's the difference? How about this one? What's the difference between offending someone wrongly and offending someone rightly? For instance, think with me here. Jesus himself said what Dave read to us this morning, judge not that you don't be judged, or so you won't be judged. And then he says, with the same standard that you judge each other, that I judge others, I will myself be judged. And he says, why do I try to take the speck out of my brother's eye when there's a two-by-four sticking out of mine? Take the two-by-four out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to take the speck of sawdust out of your brother. So he says, judge not that you be not judged. And then later in the chapter, he says this, beware because people are going to come to you and they are going to be false teachers. They are going to be wolves in sheep clothing. And he says, you need to look at something. He says, a, a bad tree doesn't bring forth good fruit and a good tree doesn't bring forth bad fruit. And then he says, you will recognize them by what? The fruit. So you're to what? To judge fruit. So he says, don't judge. And then he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. How about this one? Jesus himself also said this. I am a stone over which men will stumble and offend. Jesus himself said, People are going to be offended at me, and people are going to stumble over me. And then Jesus says this, Woe to the man through whom offenses come. It would be better for that man if a millstone were tied around his neck and he were cast into the sea. So Jesus says, don't offend one another. Don't put a stumbling block in front of each other. And then Jesus says, Quoting the scripture, behold, God says, behold, I am putting in Zion, in Jerusalem, I am putting in Zion a stone over which men will stumble and offend. He is a chosen cornerstone. He is precious. But to some who do not believe, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, they will stumble over him. So, what's the difference between Good offense and bad offense. Good stumbling and bad stumbling. It's not just so simple to say, oh, you know, I'm going to live my life so nobody ever gets offended. I'm going to be so bland. I'm going to be so nice. I'm going to be Mr. Rogers. Nobody's ever going to be offended at anything I've ever done. Is that the way Jesus wants us to live? Is that the way Jesus lived? You know, I think it's interesting to note in the Gospels 
Jesus was never adverse to offending people who needed to be offended. Have you noticed that? In fact, I would say that many times Jesus routinely, intentionally, and very emphatically offended people. So when he says here, we should judge, rather, we should decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. What does he mean by that? What is the difference between a good offense and a good stumbling? When do people need to trip and be made to fall? When do people need to be judged? And what is good judgment? What does that mean? And what is bad judgment? We need to think clearly about these things. So let's think about it as we go through this text this morning. Let's run through the text for a minute. Let's start with a convicting question. Why do you do this? Why do you do this? Why is it that you see someone else that you don't think just quite measures up to you and the way you live and what's important to you and you pass judgment on them? Why is it that we do that? Why do we do that? I mean, why? We all do it, right? You say you don't do it, you're lying. Because you've done it. Now, hopefully, the more you walk in Jesus and the closer you are to the Holy Spirit, the less we do it. But we've all done this. Why do we judge other people? You know why? It makes us feel better about ourselves. That's the only reason. It doesn't hurt them. It doesn't change them. It doesn't help them. All it does is what? It is a perverted part of our sinful flesh that when we pass sentence on someone else, it for some stupid, distorted reason makes me feel better about who I am. That's the only reason. Now, how stupid is that? How stupid is that? But we all do it. It is a convicting question. Why do we do this? Now, I also want you to notice in verses 10 to 12, he lays out a future certainty. Not a future maybe. Not a future, I can get out of this one. No, I'm talking about something that will come your way. And I don't know when it will. It'll come my way, and it will come to you. And I want you to notice what he says. After confronting us with this question, he says, for we will all stand. I've never had to stand, I thank the Lord. Doesn't mean there's never been a time in my life when I didn't deserve to, but I've never had to stand before an earthly judge. To get up out of my seat and answer to a judge for something I had done. By God's grace, I just haven't been there. But there was coming a day 
when we won't stand an answer to a district judge or a Supreme Court, we will answer to the judge of the universe who knows everything about me, who I can't lie to him and cover it up. I will take my stand in his presence. We will all be there. This is a future certainty. Notice with me verse 10. He says in verse 10, he uses the Greek word all, which is just pointing us to the fact that this is comprehensive and there's no escaping. I don't care if you're the president of the United States or you're the illegal alien that just swam the Rio Grande. Wherever you find yourself in the strata of society, every one of us at some point will stand before the God of the universe and we will give an account to him. It's all of us. But not only is it all of us, notice verse 12, it is each of us. Which means this. Kids, you won't be hiding behind mom and dad. You will answer for you. So each of us will give an account of who? Himself. Himself. Ultimately, I'm not going to give an account to God for you. Now, I will give an account to God for my pastoring. But it's only on me, myself, the way I've done that. Was I faithful? It's not your response. I can't answer for that. I'm not going to take that on myself. You reject it, it's not on me. Okay? Now, I must be faithful to give you the message. I must be faithful to teach you, to equip you, to train you, to do everything in my power to shepherd you under the Lord, to point you to the Lord. But if you don't take it and you go another direction, you give an account of you. I'm not answering for your response. Right? But I will answer for myself. So each of us, individually, we will have a moment with God where we will account for us, myself, and for what he has given to me. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, It is appointed unto men one time to die. And after that, judgment. We should take that seriously. I want it to sink into our psyche. It is appointed unto me to die. And after my death, I will answer to God. It is appointed unto you to die. And after you have died, you will stand before the judgment of God and answer. Now let's consider some things about this. Just notice with me Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 for a minute. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus is going through the Old Testament law, and he is showing the intent of it. In verse 21, he says this, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, don't murder. Whoever murders will be subject to a human court, to judgment. But I'm telling you this. It shows us how God thinks. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to the human court. Whoever says to his brother, you're a fool, will be subject to the higher court, which in Israel was the Sanhedrin. So he's showing us heightened responsibility. And then he says, but whoever says, you moron, Subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember God brings something to your mind, your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now here's my point. This is the point I want to make about what we're talking about. Jack will understand this. Reach a settlement quickly with your opponent while you are on the way with him. Or your opponent, your adversary, will take you to the judge. The judge to the officer, and you will get thrown into prison. I assure you, you won't get out of there until you pay the last penny. Now, I'm not going to go into all the theological ramifications of how that relates to the gospel. The point is, what he's talking about here is this. It's the kind of a thing we think of as a plea bargain. That if you got an issue going on, you're better to settle out of court. And he's just pointing to that truth here. You do not want to wait, my friend, until you stand before God, the judge, and then try to settle with him. If you try to wait till that moment to make a settlement with God, you know what's going to happen? You ain't going to get out of there. He's going to throw the book at you. What he's saying is this, my friend. If you're sucking wind today and you're alive, you need to make a plea with God now. Why? Because I'm sure something by the Holy Spirit, you're guilty. Just as I am. You are guilty. You better settle now. Do not wait until that day and expect that God's just going to look at you and say, Oh man, you are such a nice person. Come on in. You're dumber than a box of rocks, if that's what you're thinking. Okay? At the judgment. What's going to happen at the judgment? I want to know. I'm going to bow. He says it in the text. I am going to bow. I don't care who you are. Every knee will bow. Now, what does it mean to bow? Why is he using that word? What is the picture of that? 
It is showing worship. It is showing subservience. It is showing a recognition that he is supreme. There's not going to be anybody standing in the presence of God who's going to bow their neck and say, knock me over. Uh Uh-uh. We are going to come into the presence of Almighty God and we are going to bow. I better bow now. Secondly, I'm going to confess. I'm going to confess. I think that means two things. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to do what now in this plea bargain agreement we're talking about? Forgive us. I'm going to confess. I'm a sinner. I am going to confess he is Lord. I'm going to confess who he is. And I will give or I will render an account. Isn't that what he says in the text? Notice what he says in the text. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue will confess, so each will give account. Each will render an account. And it will be of himself. This is all through the scripture. Book of Ecclesiastes. You know the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a great book. It's a man who is looking at the vanity of life and the emptiness of life. He's had everything he wanted and he found no ultimate satisfaction in any of those things that he had. And he comes back around full circle to understanding his relationship with God and how the chief end of man is to know God, to glorify Him, and to enjoy Him. And all those things are wrapped up in the book of Ecclesiastes, and at the very end of the book he says this, when everything else has been heard, the conclusion of everything is this, fear God, keep His commandments, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. Now, without going into all the things in Scripture that talk about the timing of the judgment, when believers are judged, when the lost are judged, the great white throne, the beam of seat, and laying out all those doctrines, let's just look under, at it under the rubric of this one reality that each of us will stand before God and give an account of ourselves to God. He will call to us. We will stand before Him. We will have an appearance in His court. We will bow. We will confess. And then He will either say to us, Depart from me, I never knew you. Or he will say to us, enter into the joy of the Lord. Matthew 25, verse 19 through 26 is a part of a story where Jesus is telling a parable and he's talking talking about giving an account. He tells the story of a master who has slaves and he, he, he entrusts to them various 
amounts of money or wealth. And he expects them to take that wealth, to invest it and to use it, and then he is going to return, and they are going to answer to him for what they have done. And so he has called three servants to himself, and he's given to them these differing amounts of money. And after a long time, the master of the slaves come, and he does what? He settles accounts with them. And his master said to him, well done, you good and faithful slave, to the first one who took the ten and invested it and gets another ten. He says to that man, well done, you were good and you were a faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. He does the same to the guy who got five. And then there's a guy who only got one. And he didn't know what to do with it because he was scared. And so he digs a hole in the ground and he buries it in the backyard. And the master comes back and he brings and he gives that one talent. And I'm not talking ability, we're talking about money here. And he gives just that one back to his master and he's like, well, at least I didn't lose the one that I was given. And so the man who received the one approaches and says, here is what is yours. And no doubt he's expecting to be commended. He didn't lose it. His master said to him, you are evil and you are lazy. The master does not say to him, I know you had a rough childhood and you have poor self-esteem and I just, let's all feel sorry for him. I'm being kind of silly, but it's kind of true. Because that's kind of the way we think in America, right? Like, those who are a little bit more disadvantaged, well, they're not going to have as strict an accounting. They're not going to give an answer. They, you know, he's going to look at them, and he's just going to turn the other cheek and just say, well, since you had it tough, come on in anyway. No, he's not. No, he's not. There is one standard. There is one standard to heaven. And it is ultimate perfection. And if I haven't measured up, and I stand before God in that condition, then I am the evil, lazy slave. That is why you better enter a plea bargain now. Let's go back to that. What is my plea? I have no other plea but what? Jesus Christ Amen. and Him crucified. For the believer, my judgment is not ultimately on my eternal destiny because I settled with God. The old account was settled long ago. Remember that hymn? It's settled. My plea is entered. You know what my plea is? Guilty. I am guilty. I need a Savior. My judgment is not for where I'm going to spend eternity, but I will render account for my reward, as will you. Let's continue to run through the text. Before we do that,
If you do not know Jesus Christ, if you have not entered that plea, I hope that today the Holy Spirit will draw on your heart in such a way that as we bring the service to a conclusion, you will be dealing with God and you will say to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, I am bowing before you. I am confessing. I need a Savior. That's the core of that message on the judgment. And so he brings this full circle and he's saying, why do we judge each other? Because we each will stand before God and we will give an individual account to him. So let's continue in the text. He then draws a conclusion. Notice the therefore. He says, therefore, since this is the case, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Rather, let us decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of someone else. So what he is saying is the conclusion that he draws is therefore, and it's don't do this, it is do that. Don't judge each other. Don't judge someone else. Rather, let me judge this. Let me make this commitment. As I walk in life, I'm not going to put a stumbling block. I'm not going to put a hindrance to the gospel in someone else's life, in front of another person. Now, we have to weigh that against what Jesus said when Jesus said, I am a stone over which men offend. Listen, Paul talks about the offense of the gospel. Paul talks about the offense of the cross. The comprehensive, exclusive claim of Jesus to be the only way of salvation is in and of itself an offense to people. We cannot tamper with that, my friend. We cannot change that. If we do, we then run contrary to Jesus Christ and to his message. There's one way. And many people, many people who hear that will be offended and walk away from Jesus. We can't change it. I don't want anybody to stand before God and to be able to say, though, the reason I did not come to Christ was because of something in Tim Moyer's life. People will offend at Jesus, but I don't want anybody. I don't want you to be able to look at God someday and say, what Tim Moyer was doing caused me to stumble into sin. And I think every one of us, when we think of that question, why am I here to glorify God, whether therefore I eat or I drink or whatever I do, do all of the glory of God, I think every one of us should draw this conclusion from the text. We should analyze our life. And we should live our life in light of the glory of God, but ultimately as well, if someone else were to pattern their walk after your walk and the way you live, the kind of movies I watch, the kind of places I go, 
And they're going to say, I'm going to do the same. Are they going to fall into sin? Are they going to stumble? If they, should, if they could, if there was that remote opportunity, then there should be nothing that means more to me than the spiritual health of you. That is what he's talking about. Rather than sitting in judgment on each other, we should put all of our energy into building each other up. He returns to his current application. He says there is nothing that is unclean of itself. It is only unclean if one thinks it is unclean. Now the word unclean there obviously is an Old Testament connotation. He's talking about clean and unclean foods, that which is common, that which is not, that which has been devoted to God, and so there's that application. And he's just looking at that, and he's just making this statement to us. He's saying there's no food in and of itself that is unclean. But if someone thinks it is unclean, in their mind they are thinking of it as a sin, then they are not to eat it. And then I should also be careful that they don't see me doing it. And by seeing me do it, sear their conscience and go into sin. So he says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. So don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil by others. He kind of then gets to a statement about the nature of the kingdom of God. This is important. The kingdom of God, the rule of God, that nature of that kingdom is not about what we eat and what we drink. It is about what? Righteousness. Where does righteousness come from? From Jesus Christ. That's what he said at the beginning of this book in Romans chapter 1 when he talks about how there is a righteousness that comes by faith, not just by works, but there is an, there's an imputed righteousness that then creates in me a, a, a sanctifying righteousness in the way that I live. And then notice the link. I can't have peace and joy in my life if I am living and walking unrighteously. Right? Righteousness results in what? Peace and joy. So let's just say, why is there so much anger and hatred in America and there is so little peace? You know why? Because there is so little righteousness. And I can't go to a therapist and get peace and joy. I can't get that. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get to go to a therapist and just spill the beans and, you know, cry on his shoulder and you're going to solve all your problems and find peace and joy and then go live like the devil. It's not going to work. If you want peace and joy, what must you first find? Righteousness of Christ lived out in your daily decisions. And you live that way, you know what you'll have? You'll have more money in your pocket because you won't have to go to the therapist. You'll have more peace and joy. I mean, that's the reality. 
Peace and joy flows from something. Okay, two concluding applications. You all said amen. Serving Christ in this way brings God's commendation. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what he says here. Notice what he says. He says, whoever thus serves Christ, in verse 18, is commended by God. And what? Approved by man. Scrutinized by man and approved. Doesn't say liked, but approved. So, all the other rulers of the day scrutinized the life of Daniel. And they didn't like the way he lived, but they couldn't find anything against him. Except what? The law of God. But they still looked at that. They scrutinized it. Serving Christ in this way brings God's commendation and man's approval. So he says, pursue harmony and growth in the lives of others. I do like to hunt. Not as much as I used to, but I do like to hunt. The word pursue is the word to hunt. Some of you ladies like to shop. And you look for deals, right? Maybe you do it, you do your deal hunting online. And you pursue the best deal. What does he say? There are two things that every one of us should be pursuing. Harmony. Harmony in the body. It is important to God that his kids get along. If you are a father and you come to the dinner table and your kids are squabbling and fighting, do you like it? No. God does not like his children to come to his table and we're not getting along. Harmony is important to God. Pursue it. Secondly, pursue this. The spiritual growth of others. Mutual upbuilding. So, as I think of these issues, God is wanting me to realize something. It's not my job to fix you. I can't. It is my job to be faithful. I am not given the task of despising you when you don't do it. We are not to pass judgment. Why? Because each of us will render an account to God. So, my job is to pursue something. A culture and an atmosphere within the body that promotes harmony 
and growth. That's the goal. It's your goal too. Because we're one body. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have given to us guilty sinners an opportunity to enter a plea to your throne, to your judicial bench. And that, that plea is Jesus Christ. I pray that if there's someone here today that's never been born again, that has never entered that plea, so that they could hear that verdict from your throne justified. That there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray for that person today that your Holy Spirit would bother them, not just at this moment, but as they leave here, as they try to go to sleep, and that your Holy, that Holy Spirit, you would pursue them. Not to make them miserable, but to save them. And then, Lord, I pray for us, your children, that we would pursue these two things, harmony and growth. Not just for me, but for each other. In love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together? Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, he can move the my God is mighty to save, He is mighty to save, forever author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave. Take me as you find me, all my fears and failures, fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in, now I surrender. Savior, he can move the my God is mighty to save, he is mighty to save, forever author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light and let the whole world see, we're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. 
He is mighty to save, forever author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, you can move the mountains, my God is mighty to save, you are mighty to save, forever author of salvation. You rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the free salvation that you offer to those who would bow before you. And Lord, I do pray if there is somebody here, Lord, today that does not know you, that has not bowed before you and made them Lord of their life, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they would come to you and and that they would say in a humble way, Lord, take my sin upon yourself. For Lord, I know I'm not able to stand before a holy judge. And that I need help. I need salvation. I need somebody to take my sin upon themselves Lord, you are a righteous judge. Would you take my sin? Heavenly Father, for those of us who who know you, Lord, may may you use us. May you use us in a way that, that leads others to the truth of knowing you. Lord, may you work in us. May you work as, as we become that, that process of sanctification where we become like you. Lord, may we be walk in righteousness. Lord, we pray. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in that. Be used in our lives, we pray. Lead us now, Lord. Bring glory to yourself through our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.